Hello, I'm Jeremy McMahon, meditation teacher, Tibetan Buddhist scholar, and audio engineer. And welcome to Meditating with Friends, a podcast where we explore meditation through friendly conversation. Each episode includes a guided meditation that you are invited to join. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in working with me one-on-one to help deepen your meditation practice, check out my website, jeremymcmindfulness.com. Now, enjoy the show. What up, mind gang? It's your boy, Jeremy McMindfulness, here with another episode of Meditating with Friends. God, I'm so excited about this episode. Uh, This week's episode, we're talking to Brittany Mysick. She's the founder and head organizer of Meditating for Black Lives, a wonderful organization that's been holding meditations here in Brooklyn. And uh, we'll get into the history of the organization, um, you know, in the episode. So definitely want to stay tuned for that. Uh, They're holding meditations uh, every Saturday and Sunday for this month of May 2021. Uh, They have meditations at 9 a.m., 1 p.m., and 5 p.m., and you can reserve a ticket for free uh, at swivelgallery.com, where it's being held. Uh, But generally, walk-ups have been welcome, too. Also, be sure to check out their website, uh, meditatingforblacklives.org, and please, please, please support, donate buy their awesome t-shirt that they just came out with because uh, I really think this organization is something special and I think Brittany is something special I mean she's she's a really incredible meditation teacher Uh, so again I'm truly honored to have her here but uh, let's just cut to the chase and enjoy the show all right hello everybody Uh, it's your friend uh, Jeremy McMindfulness here with another episode of meditating with friends uh, where everyone meditates uh, this episode, uh, we are with, uh, Brittany Mysek. I'm truly honored to have her here. Uh, she's the founder and lead organizer for meditating with, uh, meditating for black lives, uh, which is a wonderful organization here based in Brooklyn, um, that, uh, has been having meditations, uh, every Saturday and Sunday this month at Swivel Gallery, uh, in Nostrand, uh, or on Nostrand Ave in Brooklyn. And uh, Brittany, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm well. Thank you so much, Jeremy, and uh, the meditating, um, meditating with friends community. Yeah, I, it's I always trip up the word. So people often say meditation for Black Lives, oh. and so I found myself actually wanting to say meditation with friends just now, which is not <laughs> what it is. But it, it is. Wait, I'm I'm right. I'm now I'm like freaking out. It is meditating for Black Lives, correct? It, it is meditating for Black Lives, and this <laughs> is meditating with friends, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. we're in the right place. Yes, we got it. We got it. Good. Wow. Well, uh, I just want to, you know, I guess confess that like ever since I even conceptualized this podcast I like always wanted to have somebody from your organization on the podcast because again I just think it's such a wonderful thing that you all are doing and something that is you know so important because I mean if I have one message for like my meditation uh, it's just that, you know, I want everybody to meditate, you know, like I yeah. want and I want it to be accessible for everybody and I want it to be, you know, inviting for everybody. And uh, so I just again, I thank you for, you know, starting this organization and uh, really um, 
you know, mixing up, you know, I guess the kind of the optics of what most meditation teachers are, unfortunately, you know, like whenever I go on Instagram and I search, you know, the meditation hashtag, it's just like, you know, craziness. Yeah, it's just like skinny white girl after skinny white girl after skinny white girl. Um, so again, I, I sincerely like, thank you for, for doing what you're doing. And again, I think it's, it's just so important. But I was, I did want to ask you uh, about how personally, how did you get into meditating? And uh, yeah, how did you come across meditation and Buddhism in your life? Yeah, so um, that's a two, thank you, one, uh, for such niceties. Uh, oh, no problem. I am smiling, though you guys can't <laughs> see it. So I will describe all of my reactions. Um, <laughs> that um, it's a twofold answer. So I, I think as a child growing up in San Diego, I had always been sort of contemplative, contemplative, and um, I would go to the beach, I would go to the ocean, and I would sit, I would just sit, and I would, but not practicing any type of um, skillful mm -hmm. contemplation, so I wasn't necessarily mindful of the breath, but I would definitely go there just to... Um, not zone out. It's really, I think I was meditating without having the language or the, um, the knowledge thereof to call it that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's always been a practice. And when I formally started, um, meditating, I was in a really, um, interesting place in my life. So I had had, um, I had finished graduate school. I had a nervous breakdown in graduate school, uh, but I still finished. And, mm -hmm. um, I had just started therapy. And mm. I had never been in therapy and therapy was going really great. Mm. And then all of a sudden it wasn't, uh. um, all of it, many years later after that, you know, nervous breakdown and, um, finishing graduate school, um, and having, you know, uh, several years of therapy under my belt, all of a sudden therapy sort of, uh, just not, it didn't necessarily feel stagnant, but I was not there was like a plane, I guess, inside of me spiritually, mm, yeah. um, that I was not tapping into and I was, I was not reaching. I was, you know, still going to my therapist and, you know, not even just my therapist. And I had a very excellent therapist, um, also very expensive, but very excellent therapist here in New York city. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was going, I think something like five, five days a week. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. So doing intensive therapy and for quite some time, and yet I was still, you know, not as self-aware and I think of myself as being a very self-aware person. And so, um, I actually stumbled, um, upon just like here in bed where I live now, a couple of wellness, uh, like, I guess, wellness centers, yoga studios. Mm -hmm. And I've always back in San Francisco again, I'm sorry, jumping all over, but I feel like life is nonlinear. Anyway, yeah, no but. problem. I, I always <laughs> say with like when these conversations, not that I think you're hopping around too much, but like when conversations do hopping, hop around, I'm like, it's just like the mind when someone's meditating, you know, Absolutely. We're, just, we're just demonstrating that in, uh, real in, time. in, in real time. Yeah. So, <laughs> so go ahead, go ahead. Totally. And so, you know, even I was not, I'm not a big fan of, um, movement yoga. I like to move my body differently, but hmm. you know, asana was always my, my favorite part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I, you know, I found a couple of yoga studios and, you know, they were offering these like 15 minute or, you know, one off meditation. Mm -hmm. 
mm. session. So Namaste, which is no longer with us here in Bedsty, and there was another uh, studio. I'm blanking on the name, but these were my first like actual formal meditation classes. And I was like, wow, this is really neat. And I had the most amazing sleep ever. (laughs) That's (laughs) a big selling point. (laughs) Yeah. Afterwards I was like, wow. And I just, I felt different. I felt really great. Mm. And then, um, when my practice became much more um, intense and formalized, I started going to this place called Hill House. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they um, really proved to be formidable in um, in my influence, uh, I think, with meditating for Black Lives as well. Just, um, you know, they have uh, BIPOC practitioners there. Mm-hmm. And I was doing community meditation classes twice um twice a day. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And this was really like, all of a sudden I was having all of this breakthroughs in therapy. Mm. Like, I mean, just incredible to the point where I, sometimes I would sit in my therapy sessions, like, why am I even here? Um, oh. <laughs> I just solved this myself. I'm paying, yeah. what am I even paying you for? I could do this for free. Yeah. And so that's sort of how I, um, came into my practice and like truly, um, you know, I think we all have some, especially starting out moments where we take breaks. So, you know, I've mm-hmm. had uh, long hiatus, I've had short hiatuses from, um, from my practice, but you know, now, uh, and we're going to talk about the monastery, I'm sure, but, you know, yeah. having come, you know, this last big intensive being at a Buddhist monastery, it's been, um, my practice has never been deeper. Um, and it's truly a, a key and crucial part of my, in my life. I know that, um, when I can't afford therapy, I can, there's my practice that I can lean on. And the more consistent and deliberate I am about maintaining that practice, the more mental fortitude I think I have to just be in the world. So meditation is just, it's the shit guys. Um, <laughs> and how I got to Buddhism honestly is through pop culture. So, oh, really? um, yeah, you know, I think, um, more black people probably, and not just black people, but all people, but in particular, um, black Americans, uh, might be more exposed to Buddhism than we, uh, maybe acknowledge in that, like the Wu-Tang clan, for example, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, big, um, proponents of, um, uh, Buddhism and like Shaolin monks. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have all of the, and also Kung Fu culture being very popular among black Americans. And then uh, I remember growing up watching, uh, what's love got to do with it. The Tina Turner, um, mm-hmm. biography, the, the yeah. bi- biopic. And there's a scene, you know, when she's leaving Ike Turner and like the whole film is just very tumultuous. And it's obviously a very intense story, a very a tragic story as well. But when she's on her rebound and like, you don't know how she's ever going to overcome this like massively just crazy low self-worth and self-esteem and abuse. And she starts, uh, chanting, uh, the Buddhist, um, chant Nam Young Ring Genkyo or something like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 She's pure and, land. Right. And so exactly. And so when you're a kid, you're just, I remember everyone would like, we would always like imitate this. Mm. Um, Really? (laughs) Yeah. Just, I don't know why that, I think, you know, it's funny. It's funny sounding words when you're a kid and you don't really know, but you also, uh, and shout out to Angela Bassett for um, really delivering that scene. But you, I think, you know, it comes across in that scene that she reaches this true sense of serenity and inner peace. And so, even though we're chanting, you know, as kids, like going around chanting this because it sounds funny. I think there was also maybe some subconscious level of like, this is a 
potentially a way of um, inner peace. And so that is my my exposure to early exposure to Buddhism. And then as I've gotten older, naturally, you know, uh, world religions and having gone to college and just just cultural exposure um, in, in in my 34 years around this the sun. Um, I've, I've come to know different um, sects of Buddhism and practices and practitioners. A lot of monks have come into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so. They do that somehow. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's strange because you think of them as like, um, you know, secluded and just like in their monastery. And then next thing you know, I'm like, I have lunch with monks all the time. Yeah, no big deal. No. Uh, um, Wow. I mean, you just said so much great stuff and there's like, uh, I don't know, there's so many points that I (laughs) want to respond to, but, uh, I guess I'll start from the beginning, um, with the, with you sitting at the beach and like, yeah, I know it wasn't like a formalized meditation, but I, I do think it, you know, it kind of just the beach in general, I grew up in Virginia beach, Virginia. So like, I'm very familiar with the beach myself. Um, and so the beach does kind of cultivate this sort of like mindful, uh, I don't know, like mindful state, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's because it's just so like sensory, uh, it's just so sensual, you know, Mm -hmm. in a way and that, you know, you have like the sound of the beach, uh, the smell of the, of the salt air, you know, um, the feeling of the sand, you know, and the way that I teach meditation and it's like seemingly the way that you teach meditation or just based off the one set I've had with you, um, that, you know, oftentimes with basic mindfulness or, you know, shamatha meditation, it's, it's very much rooted in sensual experience, right? You know, it's like we're focusing on, I mean, generally we're focusing on the breath, but I've done, you know, mindfulness meditation with sight and with hearing. Um, mm. Taste is the one I'm still trying to kind of figure out <laughs> how to do, uh, I guess, just because it's hard to taste for 20 minutes straight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just like I, I just like that um, idea that, you know, like any type of sensual input can be uh um, be a focus of meditation. And it's just so cool that you being at the beach, you know, kind of, I don't know, kind of like reverse engineered the meditation. Like it wasn't your intention, but it just sort of like happened to you anyway. Absolutely. You know, um, and I, I agree. I think the sensual, like I'm when I think about that early memory, like the sound of the, um, the ocean, is very real. And I, I, you bringing up the texture of the sand also very real to that contemplative process and mm-hmm. practice. And again, without naming it. And sometimes, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be named, right? Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we are constantly, uh, our, our senses are, are constantly being flooded with stimulation. And I think if you can focus, um, uh, at any point, at any given point, whether it be taste, I've never tried taste, which sounds, yeah. I was like, Oh, maybe I'll do that tonight. At least yeah. for five minutes. I don't know. Yeah. I guess maybe if you got like a really long lasting, like piece of gum or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But like taste is always present. It's that's mm-hmm. such a good one because it is truly genuinely always present. Like, I guess you could taste your tongue. I guess you uh, can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I was, when you said that, I was like, like sucking on my tongue. I'm actively <laughs> sucking on my tongue. Um, I'm like, Oh, that tastes like my lunch. And, <laughs> you know, there's a taste in my mouth. And like, even when you, um, for example, with like uh, people talking about losing their sense of taste with mm. the vaccination or when they have had COVID, yeah. um, what does that mean? Especially if you haven't eaten. So like 
is there the taste of um, spearmint or peppermint in your mouth from when you last floss or brush? Um, mm-hmm. Is the taste of your saliva, the bacteria, like all of these things are constantly present. Right. Um, it's just a matter of focus and awareness. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I, that's again, what I, I try to emphasize in my teachings is that, you know, everyone has access to this all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I'm so glad you said that about the taste. Cause I always kind of dismissed it now that I'm thinking about it. I'm like, Oh yeah, I am always tasting something, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so thank you for that insight. And then the other thing that I thought was really interesting about your story was how therapy, uh, like led you to meditation or you started therapy first and then you'd started meditation. Yes. Where for me, it was actually kind of the opposite. Like I was like really getting into my meditation practice and to the point where I was like, therapy's stupid. I don't need <laughs> therapy. Like I can do this my own. Like anybody that's going to therapy must be weak or something wow. like that. Like, yeah. yeah. And then, and then I had surprise, surprise, I had a breakdown and, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, I was like, no, I can't, I can't do this on my own. And, you know, I started seeing a therapist and I, I guess I've been seeing him, the same therapist for about, um, about three years now. Um, okay. So, yeah, so I think, I think the two really go hand in hand. And, They're complementary. Yeah. And I don't think really one, you know, again, at, uh, originally I was of the mind, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a meditator. I don't need therapy, but like you know, they're not, they shouldn't be ex- mutually exclusive. And, uh, I think, yeah, they really do go hand in hand with each other. And right. it is like, you know, a lot of ways like meditation is kind of doing, uh, therapy on yourself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just really trying to understand how your mind works, but you know, when you're in, when you're in a depressive state or, you know, having a breakdown or anything like that, it's like, you're not really in any state to, practice that much mindfulness at least in my experience you know right. yeah. or it can be very hard to mm-hmm. you know i think of them as symbiotic um in that you know there are times when very comp- i think of them symbiotic very complementary um there are times when i have had have had more fruitful um and uh far more beneficial sessions med- therapy sessions mm-hmm due to having sat with myself. Right. And then there are times when the therapy, you know, it's therapy is like a relationship, any relationship. And so there are times when, you know, the therapy sessions are much more stagnant, but I'm able to bring a sense of awareness of patterns maybe, uh, that I've uncovered in therapy, you know, therapy sessions prior to the cushion. Um, and where I can feel Mm -hmm. Like I can lean more on the practice of meditation than necessarily on, on the therapy. And this allows my pocket to rest a little bit. Um, and so I think they work together and I, um, like I'm currently taking a break just from my therapist, just to explore my practice a little bit deeper, Mm -hmm. but that's not to say that I, I think I would never, um, I don't, I don't want to say never, that seems so absolute, but. I definitely think they're symbiotic and complementary. And if you can do both and afford both, I highly recommend um, just trying it out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and then uh, I'm kicking myself and I might have to edit 
I don't, I, you know, just FYI, yeah. I can edit anything out, but like, <laughs> I'm just trying to remember what the third part was that I wanted to bring up. Uh, oh. but that's okay. Uh, I'm sorry. It's cause I interrupted you. No, 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 no. It's, it's fine. It's my bad. It's my bad. Um, but, uh, well, so yeah, I mean, I think that's a great insight into therapy, uh, from your perspective. And again, you know, I would encourage, you know, anybody out there. Yes. I mean, meditation, you can do something yourself, which I think is really good because it's empowering, right? You know, it's like, you're not, because you're not reliant on somebody else to do it. Um, but you know, also if, if you're in a tight spot and need some external help, you know, need to see a therapist, like you definitely, definitely should. Um, but why don't we uh, get into talking about uh, the organization uh, Meditating for Black Lives and uh, how that all got started? And uh, you know, I want to I want to hear some of the the details of like the first uh, sits that you that you all did, which I regret not making it out to. But the from what I saw on Instagram and and what other based on what other people have taught me, some of my friends did actually go. Um, wow! I heard, I heard they were incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah, overwhelming, incredible, um, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really, truly no big deal. So, you know, I'll take the first part. How did, how did the org get started? Um, as someone who really loves meditation and has been practicing for quite some time, I, um, started my, pre- like, practice back up intensely. I would say I've now been intensely sitting for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been sitting before then, of course, but like really intense. Uh, I was doing some really intense sitting where I was sitting maybe anywhere from 40 to 60 minutes at a time, twice a day. Wow. Um, and I was like, even starting to incorporate walking meditation. Oh, cool. I, I was laid off from my job uh, because oh. of COVID. And so I was feeling some, um, <laughs> some kind of way spiritually. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> and I knew, even though I was in therapy, but I knew I needed extra support. And naturally I knew what would work, what was free and what was effective. And that was meditation. So I was doing this intense level, like, of sitting with myself and Mm -hmm. it didn't quite feel the same. You know, there's something to be said about meditating in community and having, uh, sitting with others that are actively collectively trying to heal themselves. You, you know, you, you play off of that energy together and it helps restore and rebuild, help you rebuild your, your reserves of, uh, you know, what is it called? What, what is resist? Uh, what is it called? Resilience. Uh, resilience. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I think I think it does. In being in community, thank you. It helps build your resilience too. Um, when you see other people uh, tr- working towards um, their mental health and mm-hmm. just being a better version of themselves, and so um, I really miss meditating in community. That's one. Mm-hmm. Um, two. I was doing a walking meditation, and I always walk around Herbert von King Park, and mm-hmm. that's where. Um, we, you know, I initially, we initially started doing the meditations for meditating for black lives. Cause that's my home park. I live very close to that park. And, um, it's also in Bed-Stuy and Bed-Stuy is rapidly gentrifying. You know, there's, it's a black neighborhood, but, uh, it's, you know, it's starting to tip it's, um, and look a lot differently. And so, you know, I would do these walks cause I was unemployed every, you know, <laughs> like walking 10,000 steps, yeah. whatever at the park and trying to do walking meditation and really missing, 
uh, meditating in community. And then I, you know, I'm noticing the shift in the park. I'm noticing the changes mm-hmm. in the park and who really has access to this park, who gets to have this freedom in the park, especially during this time of COVID. And this is last year's right. March around March, um, April and May, where I'm noticing like there were deep in, you know, at the height of this pandemic and everybody's fearful. And there are certain people who have access to this park that, and there are people who don't have access to this park, who just who feel the freedom to be in the park, who feel mm-hmm. a right to be in the park. And right. um, so I'm, right. that's very visible. It's very visible in a public space to see that. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what has been happening throughout my entire life and probably throughout my entire lifetime, um, since this is about meditation and uh, partially Buddhism, so many of my lifetimes, the degradation of black and brown Mm -hmm. bodies. Um, and it's starting to reach a crescendo, right? Like louder than ever before, uh, with the death Mm -hmm. of Ahmaud Aubrey, um, jogging, um, prior to that Trayvon Martin and, uh, we have George Floyd and we have Breonna Taylor, um, and just so many others. I, I don't need to, um, it will make me very depressed to feel very yeah. depressed to name them all, but I'm, sure. I'm witnessing this. And then I'm witnessing our response to this, which I would like to say is a reaction to this situation. Yeah. And it's a very common reaction that we have. We want to hit the streets. We want to use our bodies after seeing the degradation of our bodies, after seeing the lack of agency that we have over our bodies. And I say our being people of color. Um, and mm-hmm. in my case, in particular, sitting at the intersection between race and gender as a female identifying person and, mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, this is, I, I just felt my body f- also freeze and say, like, this is not the way we're going to end systemic racism. In fact, it's a, not just systemic racism, but exploitation of all kinds and oppression of all kinds by mm-hmm. using, if you will, the master's tool to dismantle the master's house. Um, right. You know, it's a very physical thing that happens to us, the loss of life and the brutalization of our bodies, but we cannot meet you know uh, fire with fire um and so i just felt like we need to be sitting and we need to be thinking and we need to be thinking strategically and you know people say meditation is not about thinking but we can't stop thinking right but it's to notice the quality of the thoughts um and then to skillfully um work with those with those Mm -hmm. with those thoughts and so i was like wow this is what we should be doing um Mm -hmm. this is how not how necessary I wasn't thinking necessarily the healing component. I think that came later when, uh, you know, I recognized that a lot of people wanted to protest and be a part of the movement last summer and they didn't feel safe because of Mm. the very high risk factor to their bodies. Um, and so, you know, this public community sit-ins, um, very deliberately named because of the sit-ins obviously in the sixties, um, where people would sit in, you know, public, restaurants where now we're sitting in a public park and I, I dare you, please. Um, I dare you carceral state to brutalize our bodies in such a passive state, even though we're doing one of the most violent acts that we could do, which is go in inwards, um, and look inside ourselves to, to try to heal, but also find solutions, uh, to this problem. Like you're not going to force our hand to Mm -hmm. fight fire with fire. Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just think that's so wonderful and so beautiful. And like, um, just, I, yeah, I just, think, I just think meditation is such a, a critical tool, you know, for activism and like with med- meditation itself is, I, I believe is a form of activism in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And, 
Um, recently, I are you familiar with Sharon Salzberg? Yes. Yeah. Um, so she had a post on her Instagram, and I actually heard her talk about this too on a podcast recently. But she was talking about how the idea of like loving yourself is is a form of activism because you know the powers that be you know just tell tr- basically are trying to constantly make a, you know us feel bad and make us feel like we're not worthy and we're not worthwhile and so i think just you know having a, this meditation practice that you're doing that makes you a better person you know is is one of the best things that we can do to you know just help change and make society better and then I also always emphasize with my meditation too, or my meditation teachings that, you know, we're meditating so that we can better help other people. Like Absolutely. I, like I, I truly fundamentally believe that, you know, it's not, I mean, oftentimes meditation does get portrayed as being kind of like navel gazing and, and all that, but. And self-serving, right? Like, right. But I agree with you, not to cut you off. I just absolutely agree with you. And I think it's a fine line. It's hard to explain to people who want to think of meditation in such negative ways. Um, But that it is a very um, individual act to heal, um, to help the collective. You, You know, there are individual parts of that collective. It's like, I, you know, often use the analogy of the hand, um, that it's made up of all these fingers and each finger needs to be healthy for the hand to function properly. You don't need all the fingers. Um, but for, you know, uh, what we would say a normative healthy hand would have all the fingers functioning. So each finger, like if your thumb or like the in between has a paper cut, like it's going to hurt and it's going to limit the mobility and the use of that hand. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you want to make sure we're all individually okay so that we can be collectively strong. Yeah, totally. Totally. And the other thing, um, I actually did, I was doing some like live stream meditations when, uh, COVID just hit and I, I did do, um, a talk about, uh, you know, the situation with George Floyd, um, when that came up and I was equating it to, uh, the wrathful deities um in tibetan buddhism are you familiar with the wrathful deities in tibetan buddhism i'm not so they look they look scary they basically Mm -hmm. just look like demons right um but they are supposed to be what they are described as uh forms of wrathful compassion Mm. which i i love that phrase just wrathful compassion um but really one of the things that they symbolize is taking the energy from like negative feelings and transmuting them into something positive. Got it. And so I just think, you know, meditating for black lives was like an expression of that kind of Mm. wrathful compassion. Um, and that, you know, you were taking these negative things and truly turning them into something positive and transformative. And I mean, I think I, I viewed all the pro, you know, all the protests and all the things that were happening last year kind of as being that energy, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know in, in the, in, you know, in a lot of the media, people are portraying like the have portrayed these protests as being like riots. And, and I, you know, I was at some of these protests and like, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Like, uh, you know, for by and large, the majority of these protests were totally and utterly peaceful. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just think, yeah. So I just, I just, again, I just 
want to offer my gratitude for you to doing this because again i just think it's so important and it's such an amazing way to to embody that wrathful compassion and the mm. energy of the wrathful deities and transmute those negative things into something really positive. Oh, I thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so why don't we uh, jump into the monastery a bit? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, so I, I, I met Brittany last Saturday at, at the, at the meditating for black lives uh, sit and we talked afterwards and even during the meditation, you had just described coming back from this, uh, from spending 30 days at a monastery in New Jersey. So uh, I feel like most people probably haven't done that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, why don't you share a little bit about your experience? Because I'm sure people will be uh, curious. Absolutely. So, um, you know, a, a couple things. Yeah. It's, it's like, I guess, you know, it is a very unique experience. I didn't think that. So a little fun fact about me, no matter how much self-awareness I tried to practice, I still amaze myself and how naive I am. And, um, <laughs> you know, I like to spin it, um, very compassionately and, uh, as like childlike wonder for the world. Um, mm -hmm. so I thought, you know, I was, I met, um, monks at empty cloud monastery, um, in New Jersey. Uh, they actually found meditating for black lives and invited us, uh, oh, myself cool. and my co-organizers to have lunch with them last summer. Oh, that's um, awesome. yeah, it was just so great. And, um, I had had some encounters already with, uh, a few other monastics in the movement, um, mm -hmm. monks who were participating in some of the black lives matter protests. And these, um, encounters were not necessarily pleasant. So I was meeting these monks in an empty cloud monastery with a little grain of skepticism. Cause I'm like, what, what, what is it? Um, yeah. what, you know, what, what could they possibly want? Like, why, why do, why are we going to meet? But it was actually quite pleasant and, mm. um, I just really enjoyed it. And I was supposed to do a Vipassana 10 day retreat in September, but it was canceled because of COVID. Mm. And so, uh, they had offered me, uh, an opportunity to join them on retreat if I'd like. They weren't really doing retreats open to the public, but they would do one for me. And, um, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But didn't believe them. I did not believe them. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. So when they began to open up residencies, um, you know, they reached out to me immediately and said, Hey, I think, you know, would you be interested in doing this? Um, we're offering one month and two month residencies and, you know, of course I had never done this before, so I had no idea what that meant. And I, so naturally I signed up for two months and they were like, yeah, no, you can't do two months because mm. you've never done this. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, we don't suggest you, you know, take that long from real life. Like you mm -hmm. should maybe ease into something like this. And so I signed up for a month and they said, yep, sure. Come on down. And I genuinely thought like they were going to wait on me. Mm hmm. I don't, I thought it was going to be like eat, pray, love. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, not even eat, pray, love. Like, I don't know. I think, you know, as you were saying, like you go on Instagram and you see, you know, skinny white women and uh, just like, you know, this beautiful color palette that's yeah. on tone or like on brand. And yeah. I, I thought that 
<laughs> I thought that I was like, they're going to bring me food every day and it's going to be vegan. And it's going to be so good and it's going to be organic and oh, I'm going to just take walks and I'm be able to write, probably start writing a novel here. And yeah. I did. I thought all of this Boy, was I wrong. So wrong. Um, and, but very grateful for the opportunity, yeah. you know, one, not a lot of people do this. It is yeah. a very unique thing. People don't willingly say, Hey, I want to leave my life, uh, for 30 days and give up, you know, music, television, uh, seamless, whatever, just our mm-hmm. comfort or even our beds. Like I was sleeping yeah. on a mattress on the floor <laughs> and, um, you know, waking up every day at like four forty-five in the morning. So mm-hmm. this is not a, a very common thing to do, but also for, as a black woman and, you know, I know that just there aren't very many black monastics uh, in general, not Mm -hmm. just here in the West, but in in general, but um, also very few black women monastics. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm probably going to write my book there. So that's what I was thinking. And (laughs) it was not like that. It was not like that at all. Um, No one waited on me. Um, And it was very tough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, monks are humans too yes they are yes they're very much humans and they're people Wait, just like us can i just say uh i we, we could keep talking about monks and i just uh, i just want to tell the story about how it was really mind-blowing for me when i was in DePaul the first time i ever saw a monk smoking a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I went to, in the back of this like restaurant there is this like this monk just like smoking a cigarette and i was like cool (laughs) yeah 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 so anyway yeah monks are monks are people too yeah monks are people too um and you know having that realization while there um was obviously very beneficial i would i don't know what would happen if i remained in the delusion that somehow they are more mm, enlightened, if you will, since we're Mm -hmm. talking of the subject, uh, than myself, uh, they're actually just like you and me. And so, um, I, you know, had that experience. I was also just working very hard. You know, there were days where we cleaned for three hours Mm -hmm. a day, nonstop. And, for the full three hours and I don't even clean my own apartment here in Brooklyn um, (laughs) that deeply and you know there's a extreme level of discipline you know you're eating only two meals a day you're living as a monastic um, and you make you take you know the eight precepts every morning yeah and it was just very very intense but very fulfilling and rewarding spiritually I, I have to say despite you know, also recognizing that not only are monks humans, but that you are in a smaller, you're in a microcosm of like larger society, no matter what happens. It's just, you know, I I feel like there's some statistical model that would tell me like, yeah, if you put this seven people in a big house, it's like the real world. Yeah. Yeah. But spiritual, I guess. (laughs) No booze. There's no booze and there's no sex. But um, you're in a spiritual version of the real world. And that's exactly what it was. Um, So there was still, you know, gossip and pettiness and, you know, meanness. But like those are really human conditions. Right. Yeah. Um, They're still suffering Mm -hmm. and um, there's still racism. There's still sexism. Yeah. And there's still microaggressions. There's still hierarchy. Uh, you don't really escape those things, but I think you are in a place that allows you to uh, hopefully more skillfully deal with those conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, 
it was reminding me of somebody I had previously on the uh, podcast, uh, a friend of mine uh, named Jerry Walsh, for those who are listening. Uh, but he lives in a spiritual community upstate. And okay. just talking about how one of his teachers was like, you can kind of condense 20 years of spiritual practice into two years of spiritual community living mm-hmm. because you do kind of not because it's like nice and pleasant and you're all on the same page, but rather the opposite because you have to be like put up with everyone's bullshit basically. <laughs> yeah. And there's no filters there. So I think, you know, I like to tell when I got out, I was telling people, I was like, we live in such a filtered world. We do, you know, there's a reason it sounds very extreme and it is quite extreme to not have television, music, singing, dancing, laughing, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're mental distractions. And I would liken them if distraction seems too harsh or like people don't tend to understand that when I say that, like it's an agitation of the mind. They're mm-hmm. like, what? It's agitating to like paint. It's like, yeah, uh, it is. You're distracting yourself, but it's like a filter. You're just operating. We very, um, most often, uh, it's very common for us to uh, us, royal us, uh, people, humans to operate with a filter, um, and, or a buffer between reality. And, uh, we often use these things as buffers to reality. And so you're there and, you know, one of the precepts is no beautification of adornment of any kind. So there's no jewelry, there's nothing Mm. to, for me to look at another person and get distracted or lost in what they're wearing. You you know, Mm -hmm. the monks are wearing robes and I'm wearing sweatpants and loose fitting clothing. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not wearing makeup. I'm not, you know, really, truly no beautification of any kind. I was so hairy when I got out. I was like, wow, my eyebrows (laughs) have never been so full in, I don't know, a really long time. And well, yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, I I know the answer because I just saw you, but I was like, I guess they didn't make you shave your head. No, um, (laughs) you know, as a lay person, I didn't have to do that. I did cover my head every day. So like, I, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, would note that like, if probably like, so normally audience, I have a big, huge fro. Um, and I did not have that. So I like braided my hair down and, um, in cornrows and then I just covered it every day. And I think that also really helped, but you got to know people on this very like intimate, like you said, 20 years could be condensed into, uh, two years. You get to know people on this far more intimate basis when you have nothing but their soul to look to to engage with there's no like hey let's watch this tv program and then let's talk about it um Mm -hmm. and that's how we're gonna bond and um get to know each other it's like well there's just you there's just me and when we were allowed to talk like what are we gonna talk about (laughs) yeah (laughs) let's just get right to it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and i mean imagine too like since you weren't really allowed to talk that much like when you did talk it was like you know, something meaningful or, or something. You would hope. <laughs> yeah, 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 you would hope. Uh, well, that's, again, thank you for your insight into that because it is, a, you know, again, something that I don't think most people will likely ever experience. Um, but I actually, I did remember the third point um, I wanted to bring up from yeah. the previous, from uh, previously. Yeah. 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 And I thought it was so cool that you mentioned pop culture as being an influence on you and your, and in terms of your exposure to Buddhism, um, because I think that's something that often gets overlooked. Uh, and like, even, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I love Wu-Tang Clan, uh, but like, I, you know, I don't know, like, you know, maybe they're not like, 
the ideal Buddhist practitioners <laughs> or yeah. something like that, you know, or maybe they haven't like really, you know, I mean, I they're not know. taking the eight precepts. So. Right. Yeah. You know, and do they meditate? I don't know. Maybe Riza does, but I don't know. The other ones do, but like, <laughs> but even though they had that like influence and like, you know, or they brought that influence into their music and created that exposure, you know, I think is, so cool because you know like you said it's like it exposed you to it so you're mm-hmm. kind of already like primed when to you're receive like, it. yeah so like yeah and then like i i kind of want to i do want to watch that tina turner movie now uh because uh that that scene sounds really awesome and i like i've known about her being a buddhist uh you know for for a while and mm-hmm. uh you know always thought that was awesome uh so yeah i should check that out but yeah i think i would not underestimate you know pop culture references to buddhism in terms of exposing people to the dharma essentially right and you know i think i mean even so i recently well right before going into the monastery i i'm sort of a like late with most things pop yeah. popular culture <laughs> and so i just started watching king of the hill oh, and wow. Um, I, one, I really enjoy that show. It's quite wholesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think despite what I think the perception of that show could be, if you just yeah. look at it on the surface, it really is wholesome. Mm-hmm. Hank Hill has a very strong moral compass and he's always trying to do the right thing. And, um, but there was, there's, you know, Bobby, his son is a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. And in fact, like the, they're come looking for the next Dalai Lama and it's Bobby. Um, <laughs> and so there, I think our, our culture, popular culture really draws upon so many different religious and spiritual influences mm-hmm. and that are very subtle. I think Lisa Simpson is also a Buddhist. Yes. Um, and so I was a big fan of Lisa Simpson. In fact, uh, when I was eight, I made the decision to become vegetarian um, because of Lisa Simpson and my parents oh, were wow. just like, whatever, cool. Like, uh, <laughs> whatever, Brittany. Um, and they, yeah. uh, they allowed this practice simply because of popular culture. Right. Yeah. But it has, we can't deny the influence that popular culture has on us, but it's what we choose to pick up. And so if it's spreading the Dhamma, like by all means. Yeah. And I mean, that's like how I feel too about like, you know, I think people often ask me, like, you know, what I think about, like, corporate mindfulness and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... It's in your name. Yeah, it's in my name. I mean, I'm, I'm taking it back, you know, like, okay. <laughs> that's that's my idea. Um, um, but, like, you know, I to me, like, you know, if it just gets, if it exposes somebody to the Dharma, even, uh, or Dhamma, uh, depending on your tradition, uh, it's you know, even if it's the most surface level thing, like I still think, you know, there'll be a certain percentage of the population that will be like, huh, let me look deeper into this, you know? So again, I don't really mind so much, you know, the corporate mindfulness. Again, I mean, I think I want mindfulness for everybody, you know, ideally, but like whatever it gets, whatever, whatever it takes to get somebody on the path is like, it's, uh, by any means necessary. Yeah. Um, I do, I do want to, I, you know, mm, I feel like I, I'm, I'm not a Libra, but sometimes I feel like I'm a Libra when it comes I'm, to, oh, I'm a Libra <laughs> when it comes to things like this, because like 50% of me is totally with you. And mm-hmm. then another 50% is like, you know, it's so easy for you and I to say this. I mean, I, I am black identifying. I'm, I don't want to make assumptions about you, but uh, you're white identifying. We are yes. both born here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this is not our religion. Right. It's borrowed. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, by any means necessary, but we have to think about the whitewashing, um, the, what is it? The capital, the consumerism, the packaging, the capitalism that comes with by any means necessary, right? Even that phrase by any means necessary is a product of capitalism and it's exploitation and oppression and erasure of -hmm. cultures, right? Like when we say by any means necessary, you can easily evoke Ford and the assembly line. Mm-hmm. By any means necessary, we're going to get these cards to people. By any means necessary, we're going to package wellness mm-hmm. and yoga and meditation that has a very mm, real, deep, deep cultural resonance and spiritual resonance to a people and strip all of that away and make right. it uh, palatable, accessible, marketable. Right. And so I 50% agree with you, like by any means necessary, let's teach the Dhamma, get people to be better versions of themselves. And I mean, who am I to say that's exactly what meditating for black lives does to use, you know, the principles and practices of various traditions, right? Mm-hmm. No one tradition. Um, and so in this way, we are, uh, I guess, a product of mindfulness. Yet I also want to acknowledge that this is not our practice. And so maybe it's not by any means necessary. It might be doing more harm than good. Yeah, no, I I understand that. And I mean, I think that is, you know, why I kind of took the McMindfulness moniker is because I do, you know, I do, I do have this background in, in the history of it. And I do want to, I do want to make people like aware of the history of the, the very, very deep history of, of mindfulness meditation in particular. I mean, there's the Satipatthana Sutra, like, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's where mindfulness comes from. It doesn't come from, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't rag on Jack Cornfield, but I'll just, I'll just, I'll use him as an example. It's like Jack Cornfield didn't make it up. You know, this is is like deep, 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 you know, stuff that's been around for 2,500 years. And, uh, I do, I do want to make, you know, again, personally with my teachings, I do want to make people aware of that and make, uh, yeah. And, and emphasize that point that like, this is, this is a very deep tradition this isn't just something that's here to you know that corporate america has made up right yeah so it's not just it's not just for your productivity you know so that you can you know get more cars off the assembly line uh so to speak but like you know it's it's something that's yeah that's that's very deep and you're right that we that this is a borrowed uh tradition and i think that's what kind of makes it exciting um for me too is that like you know, we're, we're part of the first, you know, couple generations of um, American Buddhists. Mm-hmm. And if you see, if you study Buddhist history, and you see how it kind of evolves, you know, and it's it's just Buddhism is like compared to, I I think compared to most other religions, is, is very, very, very adaptable, and mm-hmm. can kind of like move into cultures and sort of shift and change you know, to suit the needs of that culture. And um, we see that, like, I think that's a perfect example with the pop culture, right? Like yeah, Wu-Tang yeah. Clan and Tina Turner are very black, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> a very black part of popular culture, um, you know, that segment. So like, it's, it's very fluid. Um, it's very fluid. I, I will also, maybe I'm not even 50% sure how I feel about the 50%. Maybe now it's more of the third. Cause I, as you're talking, I'm like, but also like, contemplative practices have, and we talked about this, uh, when I saw you in person, but you know, contemplative practices exist, whether or not we name them. 
Right. That's if we want to go full circle, that's what I was doing at the beach. Yeah. Whether, you know, do I say I stole this from another culture? Do I say that, um, you know, I am a product of the mindful assembly Mm -hmm. uh, line? No, absolutely not. Like there's something I think Buddhism and Buddhism would support this that is uh, sort of historically generated in the the ether, right? Like maybe at one point in time I might have um, been out in the East and already practicing. Maybe I was Mm -hmm. already a monastic even Mm -hmm. um, in in my life. So, um, but you just don't have the language or the capacity like I said, on the beach to know what is, what is mine and what belongs to, to the universe. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, Buddhism itself acknowledges, I can't remember the term, but you know, Buddhism itself acknowledges that like somebody could figure this stuff out without ever Mm -hmm. having contact with the Buddhist tradition, you know? Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you were, you're just, you just got a little head start, you know, on figuring (laughs) it out (laughs) before you were like formally introduced to it. Mm -hmm. But since we've kind of come full circle and we've, uh, you know, we've, we've discussing, uh, contemplative practices, uh, why don't we do some contemplative practice? And, uh, if you, uh, would lead the meditation, uh, that would be wonderful. So I'll, uh, yeah, I'll turn it over to you and whenever you're ready, uh, why don't we meditate? Oh, I would love to. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, I do also want to say this has just been really great. Um, you never know how these conversations will go, but, um, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, me too. And, uh, I already think, you know, we could definitely do another episode in the future. So oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have you back. So, uh, thank you. yeah, whenever you're ready, uh, let's, okay. let's get going. Awesome. So please find, um, a comfortable seat if you're already there and take three collective deep inhales through the nose and out the mouth breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth again breathing in deep 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 and out through the mouth. And as we begin our practice together, just follow your natural rhythm of your breath. Breathing in deeply through the nose and out the nose. Using your breath as a tool today to gently ground yourself in the moment Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose.
And as you settle in your practice, just notice the quality of your thoughts with compassion, non-judgment. And gently but firmly, bring your focus back to your inhale. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Allowing our breath to be a barometer for how we're feeling in the moment. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Gently but firmly bringing our mind back to the breath as we've traveled somewhere else.
Breathing in through the nose. And out through the nose. in through the nose and out through the nose as we near the end of our practice I invite you to Place a hand on the body if touch is something that feels good to you. I like to place a hand or two hands in my heart space and we will close the practice in the same way that we began. As a measure of gratitude and compassion first for ourselves, for showing up for ourselves today, and then as a measure of gratitude and compassion for each other. Breathing deeply in through the nose and out through the mouth. Again, breathing in deeply, deeply into your heart space or wherever your hand is to comfort you in through the nose and out through the mouth. 
And one final time. Breathing in deeply through the nose. And out through the mouth. I thank you, Jeremy, and each and every one of you listening for showing up for yourselves and each other today. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. That was mm. th- that was lovely. And I do really love <clears throat> the way that you teach or guide meditation. And uh, I do appreciate, you know, giving, uh, allowing space for, you know, those that are following you to, uh, to have time with their own mind, mm. you know, uh, and that's something I often try to strive for when I'm guiding meditation too, because I've, I've definitely been to some meditations where I'm just like, all right, you're talking too much. <laughs> to, let me deal worry. with my own mind for a bit. I always worry that, but you know, so prior to the monastery, um, I had, you know, I would listen to have like music, either, you know, some ambient sound playing or, um, or having a guide like insight timer has tons of meditations on there and Mm -hmm. you know, they're guiding you. They're talking a lot, Yeah. but you don't get to be alone with your mind. And in the monastery, it is silent. Yeah. (laughs) Like is just you and yourself. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize how much I was dependent on that filter. Yeah. Yeah. To be with the mind and it's okay. You know, I think it's okay. Um, but it's like a training wheels. Yeah, for sure. Mm hmm. Uh, are you on Insight Timer? I'm not on Insight Timer. Should I be on Insight Timer? Yeah, you you can get well, you can be on Insight Timer and uh, like I've uploaded some guided meditations there and uh, you get surprisingly a fair amount of plays. Um, like I think each one has gotten you know over like a hundred or so plays with like no promotion on my part. Wow. Um, and then you can also do like live meditation. You can get, be approved to do live meditations. And I haven't tried that out yet. I've, I've, uh, been approved to do it. Um, but that way, uh, you can own, uh, you can get people to donate through, through the only thing about it. I'll say though, is that you're not really allowed to promote like, other websites is kind of the rule because sure. <laughs> it's like they want it all to come through insight timer you know gotcha. uh but you know within your like bio description you can have like you know your website and like i think you can you can still find ways to like sort of use it as to feed people to you know wherever you're trying to get them to go i may ask uh, you for help this saturday okay yeah sure no problem <laughs> thank it's, you it's actually it's pretty easy but i'm happy to help and okay. then uh, so yeah, again, thank you so much, Brittany, for doing this, for being here. I, I also agree that it was a wonderful conversation and I'd, I'd love to have you back sometime. Oh, please. Uh, um, but I was just wondering, uh, well, I guess just to wrap up, uh, you know, are there any last things, any last plugs? I mean, that you want to give, uh, we'll be sure to have all the info, you know, meditating for black lives website, and then the swivel gallery website, you know, in our description. So if you want to join us, uh, or join the meditations, you know, the info will be there. Um, but anything else that you want to want to say before we wrap up? I sure do. Um, thank you. So aside from that, and I thank you for that. So gracious, um, one, please, uh, donate. We run on donations, but, uh, even more importantly, and that is that um, 
there are some atrocities happening around the world. And um, just please everyone do their best to be good to themselves and to each other. Um, My heart really goes out to Palestine right now, Mm -hmm. um, to Colombia, to Burma Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. to India. Um, There's, it's terrible things happening everywhere, but um, we cannot be so self-focused here just in the United States to not think of um, the oppression and the, the, the harm that happens elsewhere um, because it does greatly affect us here too. So um, if you know of any organizations um, that are working on behalf of uh, those people and these causes, I suggest that you do something about it. Great, great, fantastic message. And yes, I mean, ending with a lesson of uh, interconnectedness, which Mm -hmm. I think is something that we always, always need to be reminded of. But, but again, thank you so much, Brittany. It was truly uh, my pleasure and my honor to, uh, to, and and an honor to have you on uh, the show. So uh, thank thank you you again. And uh, I will see you uh, this Saturday. Yeah, see you Saturday. Um, All right. Take care, everybody and everyone out there. Yeah. uh, Donate, help out where you can. And, Mm -hmm. uh, stay mindful everybody and we'll catch you next time this has been another episode of meditating with friends if you enjoyed this podcast and want to learn more about my meditation teachings and programs check out my website jeremymcmindfulness.com 